Sunflower oil, purine and pret cooking fat, yum yum peanut butter, maple margarine, and niblet's cheese twists present the epic casebook. In which Inspector Carr investigates. Good evening. Many months ago, you may remember, I welcomed the appointment of Robert Mark, now Sir Robert Mark, as Commissioner of Police for the Metropolitan Area. If you remember, I said that Mark, if I may call him that, would prove to be a new broom with steely bristles, as indeed he has. Sir Robert Mark did something unheard of in the annals of police work. He ended a long British tradition that the police always remain on the defence when criticised. For the first time in its history, the head of the largest police force in the United Kingdom went on television and for 45 minutes argued forcefully against the tendency to think that every time a policeman gives evidence against an accused, he does so with one object in view, to secure a conviction, never mind what. Well, the shrill reaction Mark provoked, the chorus of indignation evoked from certain lawyers and others, the outraged newspaper editorials would have led one to believe that while there were a number of black sheep among the police force, you'd never find one amongst the legal fraternity. I wouldn't have mentioned any of this were it not for my story tonight, which concerns the murder of a one-time lawyer. Let me tell you about it. I've called my story Switch On. For death. The immediate circumstances surrounding the murdered man's death were as far removed from legal and criminal activities as it was possible to be, or so it seemed at the time. Carp. Operations here, Inspector. Yes, Ops. Calls just come through from the uh, Toynbee Mission in uh, Whitechapel. Oh? Uh, one of their voluntary helpers, uh, Mr. Charles Soames, has been found dead. The warden thinks it's uh, murder. He uh, dialed 999. Huh? He was found dead in the bath. It seems he was electrocuted. Electrocuted? You sure it was murder, not an accident? Uh, the warden seems to think it was murder. Uh, by the way, sir, he is a doctor. A doctor, Ernest Tomlin. Thank you for your prompt response, Chief Inspector Carr. I feel... Well, I've only known Soames for the last eight months, and I feel his death a deep personal loss. Dr. Tomlin, are you sure it was murder? Well, Mr. Carr, if you come through to the ablution quarters, you'll see the justification for my suspicion. I haven't touched anything. I found it difficult to resist the temptation to have poor Soames' body lifted out of the bathwater, but I realized that I would be impeding the police in their investigations. Shall we go through? Please. Mission is practically deserted at this time of night. There's no one here except my wife, myself, of course. And Sid Peabody is a very good chap. He's a caretaker, cleaner, jack of all trades, I suppose you'd call him. Now, here, yes. The ablutions are on the left. Now, take a look at that, Inspector. An electric heater in a bath full of water on a hot August night. 
Besides which, if you look at the body, your experience with the murder squad will tell you that the very expression on the man's face denotes that he has been electrocuted. There's no question of that. I see the switch is still on. Exactly. I understand it was you who came across the body of Soames in the bathwater and telephoned Scotland Yard. Yes, I did, Inspector. You know about our mission, of course. Yes, of course. Although this isn't the time to say it, I have a great deal of respect and admiration for the practical, non-sentimental help this mission gives to the poor and the underprivileged. I'm glad you said that, Chief Inspector Carr. This, This tragedy isn't going to do the mission any good. Although the Toynbee mission was started on the monies left by a very great humanitarian as, as well as industrialist, our costs have risen enormously, and these days we depend a great deal on public subscriptions and uh, donations. All right, sir. What's the story? Now, it's uh, well, quarter past nine, which means you telephoned the yard at about five or ten to nine this evening. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, you, you know of our work. I mean, we take great pride in the way we rehabilitate ex-convicts, help them to come to terms with people from, from whom they've been shut off for such a long time. As you know, I myself am on the National Committee of the Prisoners' Aid Society, and th- that is how, I, that is how I, I met poor Soames. He was an ex-convict? Yes, yes, he was. He was sentenced to ten years' hard labor, embezzling his client's funds. He was a solicitor who tried to play the stock market, or whatever the phrase is. I see. And when did you meet him? Every week. As you know, I believe that most lawbreakers can be restored to society, given patience and understanding. No, I took Soames the odd book. I even played chess with him in his cell until he was transferred to Maidstone Prison. Of course, that was outside my area. Pressure of work, hundreds of others needing help and sympathy. Well, I forgot all about him. Remember me, Doctor? Yes, indeed I do. Come and sit down. Thank you. I uh, I don't want to be a nuisance, but you did say... No, 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 no need to explain. I'm glad you called. Now, what can I do for you? Well, I was released from Maidstone two days ago. Now you're looking for a job. Of course, you won't be able to go back to legal work now that you've been uh, struck off. Which I deserve. Indeed. But for a man who's taken a degree in law and has a knowledge of Latin and speaks French and German, well, we'll get you something. But uh, shouldn't you have applied to the prisoner's aid? I've not come here to ask you to get me a job. Not any job, that is. I, I'd like to work here. Here? At the Toynbee Mission? Yes. Yes, here. I know you won't be able to pay very much... All I want is a oh, bed. I'm awfully that. sorry, but really, that's quite impossible. You see, the Toynbee mission was created to meet the needs of poor working-class people, conscious that there's more to life than filling one's belly or drinking oneself into a stupor. Our helpers are students and tutors who give up their free time to lecture or teach. All our help is voluntary, except uh, Sidney Peabody, who acts as a janitor and night watchman head cook and bottle washer, who know all the work is done voluntarily. Besides, hardly anyone in Whitechapel attending the mission has to go a long way before they can attempt the mysteries of law. I wasn't thinking of teaching them law, but helping them. A fit percent of those who go into jail do so because they don't understand the law. Forgive me, Dr. Tomlin, what's the good of teaching these people the glories of classical music or the finer points of English literature when they need to be told... How to guard themselves against people like I used to be. If you open a free advice bureau, free legal advice, I'd be allowed to run it because I'm not pretending to be a solicitor, although you and I know that I'm as well versed in the finer points of law as most. 
that's a practical way to help the poor and the downtrodden. Yes, I agree with you. One can only do what one can. We just haven't got the money for that sort of thing. If you find me a bed here on the mission, that's all I want. A bed and a room. No food, just that. Yes, but how will you live? <sighs> Leave that to me. I've had my lesson. I, I won't do anything crooked. I promise you. Now, that happened eight months ago. And if ever a man proved himself, it was Soames. He obtained employment at Potter's, that's the booksellers. I see, thank you. Now, it's quite obvious that someone threw the electric heater into the water, thereby electrocuting the man. Who? Who was here tonight who would be in a position to do this? I can't understand it. I was downstairs here alone. Or... You came across the dead man at ten to nine this evening. Do any of the mission people stay behind after class? Well, not to my knowledge, unless there's a special lecture on. Now, we make a point of finishing our evening classes at 8.30. Now, most people around here have to get up very early in the morning to catch their trains and buses. Uh, our classes are only of one-hour duration, sometimes longer if those attending can get away from work early. Mm, what was on tonight? Uh, Mrs. McManus of the Adult Education Association was taking her class in elementary English. No, I saw her off the premises, and I did all the others. How many others? Well, uh, we do try to limit the size of the classes. There were 16 men and women. I make it a rule always to thank the lecturer and her students, and then I see them off the premises. Are you sure you saw them all off? Well, yes, reasonably sure. But what about Serms? What was he doing here? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought I made it clear. No, you know, he lives here. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday from 6 until 8... He dispenses free legal advice to anyone who wants it. Yeah, but this is Friday. Yes, I know. But as I was wishing everyone good night. Good night, Dr. Tomlin. A most rewarding session. I'm sure everyone will agree. Uh, good night, Thank Mrs. McDonough. So good night. Good night, Mr. Levy. Oh, hello. Good night. Hello, good night. Good night. Hello, Mr. Soames. Yes, you're back early, aren't you? Well, I thought I'd have an early night. I went to the first house of the Odeon Cinema. Oh, indeed. All avant-garde and symbolic, and the air conditioning went wrong. Oh, dear. I thought I'd have a bath and swat up on the latest Law Commission's report, then have an early night. Yes, wise man. Why don't you join me in a nightcap? I propose to make myself a cup of cocoa. Well, and... I'll forego the cocoa, if you don't mind. It brings back memories of the broad arrow. Broad arrow. Oh, you mean on the uniform? Yes. Well, I, I do have some instant coffee. Oh, that'll do me fine. I'll just go and have a quick bath, I think. I went to the kitchen, put the kettle on, I waited for about a quarter of an hour. Then I thought I'd go and warn Soames that the water was boiling, his coffee was just about ready. I knocked and shouted, no response, and that, that worried me. Then I opened the door, and I saw this. I see. Um, nobody's going to use an electric heater in this weather. What is this electric heater doing here, anyway? I don't know. Now, look, just let me show you. Uh -huh. It's kept in this cupboard below here. You see there's mops and scouring powder and the, the usual cleaning materials. Dr. Tomlin, mm -hmm. no one could have come in here and plugged that electric heater into the socket without Soames observing the action. Where's the heater placed in the cold weather? Well, it's up here, on the ledge above the bath. I see. Yeah, that's more like it. Well, assuming Soames is in the bath, one doesn't have to assume it, he was obviously facing the window, it's still light. Someone could have placed the electric heater on the ledge and Soames would hardly notice it. Now, you see the socket is in the, the wainscoting below the ledge there, which means that 
It could have been plugged in and the heater placed on the ledge. Now, once Soames is in the bath, the killer switches on with a foot, sweeps the heater off the ledge into the bath, the job's done. By the way, have you tried any of the lights? No. No, I haven't. Well, let's try the bathroom light. Uh-huh. As I thought, impact has blown the fuse. Dr. Stanley. Hmm? Doctor, all the light seems to have fused. I just switched on the... Well, I'll be. Charlie Soames. What's he had, an heart attack? Has he been punished at last? Is he dead? Because I hope so. Sidney Peabody proved to be a large, heavily built man in his late fifties. There was no mistaking the bitter hatred and loathing as he gazed down at the naked corpse. Sydney, Sydney, so- sorry, doctor, I-, I shouldn't have let myself go like that. Was he taken bad? He's been murdered, Mister Peabody. What? This is Chief Inspector Carr. I-, I telephoned the police. Murdered? Where have you been the last hour, Mister Peabody? What? Walking. Took a walk up Whitechapel Road and stopped at Ivy Lane here, the speaker. Then I came back here. I went into the kitchen to make myself a cup of tea and the electricity wouldn't work. Well, I tried the light switch and that wouldn't come up. Look, I'm sorry about what I said, but Dr. Tomney knows how I felt about Charles Holmes. What did you feel about Charles Holmes? That he ought to die and be electrocuted? I own the Duchess of York on the corner of St. Paul's Road. Charles Soames was my lawyer. <laughs> he organised the sale of the property. It was going to be my pension. I was going to live on the proceeds. Then he does a bunk. What happens to me? I become destitute. I don't know what I've done if it hadn't been for Dr. Tomlin here. Well, I'll get you to make a full statement later, Mr. Peabody. Dr. Tomlin, I'd like to phone the yard, arrange for the body to be removed. Our own senior police surgeon will take a look at it. This is a large, rambling sort of house. How many rooms are there here? Uh, Twelve, all told. My wife and I occupy three rooms on the top floor. The second floor contains uh, lecturing classrooms. And here on the ground floor is the main lecture hall, a kitchen, a small reception office. Now, this bathroom with ablution basins. There's another small room that uses a kind of study for anybody who wants to be alone. And there are two rooms down in the basement that Sidney Peabody occupies. I see I take it you've got your own toilet facilities on the top floor? Yes, yes, we've got a self-contained flat. And you, Mr. Peabody? Oh, I, I've got a small sitting room and a bedroom, but I use this bathroom. And did you attempt to use this bathroom within the last hour? I told you I wasn't here. I, I didn't do it. Now, please, Sidney, don't, don't raise your voice. You're waking my wife. thought I heard noises. What's the matter? What are you all doing in the bathroom? Now, please, now, don't come in, please, my dear. Uh, let's go. <laughs> What's happened? Who's in the bathroom? Why are you all looking so strange? Try to commit suicide or something. Well, please say something. Well, I was hoping to have the. Oh dear, how am I going to tell you, Mrs. Tomlin? My name is Chief Inspector Carr, New Scotland Yard. I'm here because your husband telephoned for assistance. Mr. Soames is dead. He's lying in the bath filled with water. He's been electrocuted. <gasps> we think he's been murdered. Oh, no, not murdered. Well, suicide, possibly, but not murder.
She was about 30 years of age. A loosely wrapped dressing gown and a total absence of makeup seemed to enhance rather than diminish the woman's undoubted attractiveness. Even in the presence of death, I couldn't help wondering the kind of male magnetism Mrs. Tomlin found in a man that must have been twice her age. The four of us went into a room that obviously served as an office. Uh, may I use the telephone, Doctor? Yes, please do. Thank you. Car here, Ops. There's no doubt about the man being murdered. Charles Soames, released from jail eight months ago. I want X Branch to give me a complete picture of what he was doing, who he was seeing, pick up all the local gossip they can find. They needn't bother about his voluntary legal aid work. I've got all that from Dr. Tomlin. He stayed here at the mission. I also want the body removed for Dr. McPherson to look at. Uh, very good, sir. Look, I'm sorry to have to do this, but it's all part of the routine. Um, I want a complete rundown on the Toynbee mission on Dr. and Mrs. Tomlin and a Mr. Sidney Peabody. Have you got that? Aye, sir. The man was murdered at approximately 8.30, say a quarter of an hour each way. I want to know if anything unusual occurred anywhere near the Toynbee mission. And tell Whitechapel I'll be very grateful for all the help they can give. Very good, sir. Ah, I'm sorry about that. You must realise that... The method used to electrocute Soames in the place where he was killed makes the three of you suspect. Oh, but this is nonsense. Anyone could come into this house. My dear husband is far too trusting. You know that in the summer months not a door is locked, not a How window. I mean, anybody there. could what, come in. What is there to steal? I've not overlooked the fact that the ablution quarters are less than ten feet from the front door. Well, that's it, sir. The door is always kept wide open. Somebody could have seen Charlie Soames walking into the bathroom. Could be... But unlikely. Then uh, who do you think... Forgive me, Doctor, I'm not thinking anything at the moment. I'm gathering as many facts and impressions as I can. In the first place, I noticed that Soames's jacket, shirt, trousers, etc. were hanging on a hook in the bathroom. His shoes and socks were there. Now, what I'm trying to say is that the unfortunate man need not have gone into the ablution wing to take a bath. To an observer, he could have gone to wash his hands. Besides, that electric heater... You did say it was stored in the cupboard during the hot weather. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Sidney will bear witness to that. He's in charge of these things. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. Look, he could have gone to the cupboard for something and, and taken the electric heater out. And then he could have, well, he, he could have slipped in the box. Oh, he committed suicide. You know how depressed he's been, Ernest. Yes, indeed. He, he has been very depressed. Uh, there was something very much on his mind the last few days. Well, well it has to be suicide. You needn't look at me like that, Inspector. I didn't kill him. And no one could possibly imagine that the doctor or Mrs. Tomlin would... You know, Inspector, I'm beginning to come round to that point of view myself. He felt very much the stigma of being an ex-convict, of having destroyed his own future. I don't think he would bear the thought that were he to take his own life, it would be another confession of failure. Yes, that's it. Yes, yes. You saw the position of the bath... He could have taken the electric heater out of the cupboard and got into the bath. It would have been a simple matter for him to stretch out his left hand to reach the wainscoting where the plug was. Just a switch and he's... well, he's dead. I should have thought of that in the first place. Well, let's examine this theory. Would he so arrange things so that his suicide looks like murder? Why the heater in the bath? Why the need to electrocute himself? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted it to look like murder. A crook like that now, was... Now, steady, Sidney, steady. 
Since he came out of prison, he's done nothing but good for the community. Now, you were here, Doctor, on the ground floor, but you never suspected anything. There were no extraneous noises. You say we were making a cup of cocoa in the kitchen. Oh, darling, I didn't hear you. Why didn't you call me? I'd have made it for you. I didn't want to disturb you, my dear. I used the mission kitchen. And you were upstairs in the flat, Mrs. Thomas? Yes. All evening? Yes. I heard all our people go. I, I had a headache, so I lay down and listened to a record of Bach. My wife is a great lover of classical music. Oh, that's why you didn't hear the arrival this evening. You had the music on. And you, Mr. Peabody, say that you were listening to some speaker. Was there anyone there that you know? Anyone who could give you an alibi? No, there wasn't. Well, it was a large crowd listening to this bloke shoot his mouth off, but if there was anyone I know, I... Well, I didn't see him. Ah, and the police ambulance outside. I must ask you all not to communicate with anyone about the murder. Naturally, we shall look for clues. Your mission house will be overrun with plain clothes men, I fear, Doctor. So I left Toynbee Mission, wondering whether the three of them were as innocent as they looked. Whether Dr. Tomlin's prompt appeal to the murder squad wasn't an extremely subtle move to hide his guilt. There were lots and lots of questions that needed answering. I obtained the name and address of the dead man's employer. Now, I understand, Mr. Potter, that you were aware of Soames's prison record, and yet you were prepared to give him a job. Oh, why not? He paid for what he did. He came with a check from the prisoner's aid society... It couldn't have been all bad, the way he worked here all day and then gave legal aid to them that couldn't afford to employ a solicitor. Well, in the months that he worked for you, Mr. Potter, did you notice anything unusual? Did he quarrel with anyone? Did he seem unduly depressed? Yes, yes, he did, now you come to mention it. Very depressed indeed. I, I asked him if there was something on his mind only two days ago, and, well, he said he'd probably have to leave the district, give up the voluntary work at the mission. Did you ask him why? Yes, I did. Oh, he shut up like a clam, he... Didn't look so much depressed as worried. In fact, he went as far as to tell me that I ought to start looking for a new assistant. It's interesting, Mr. Potter, very interesting. Looking for a new assistant, eh? Doctor, did Soames give you the impression that he was likely to leave the mission? Leave the mission? No, I did not get that impression. I must confess, on at least three occasions he looked at me as though he was plucking up courage to say something of great importance. And then he seemed to change his mind, knowing him to be a, a secretive sort of person, one who shies away from personal questions. I, uh, I, Are you still thinking in terms of suicide, Inspector? I never did think he committed suicide. No, it's murder, all right. And I think I know who did it. Mrs. Tomlin, did you know that the poor man kept a diary? Charles. Barry. Why did you do it? Why did you kill him? <sighs> Everything would be all right if he would accept the situation as it was. I had no intention of leaving Ernest. I loved my husband. <laughs> Except... Except that Soames was half his age. Handsome. <sighs> what did Soames want? To tell your husband... Marry you, take you away. Oh, the fool. Why couldn't he leave well alone? Suddenly getting all holier than thou, insisting my husband be told. I had to do it, don't you 
son of the Fatu. If I had found out, he would have killed him. He's going to find out now. <laughs> All right, Mrs. Tomlin, I'm charging you with murder. You'd better not say anything more until you've seen the solicitor. But this diary... There but... wasn't a diary. I merely asked you if you knew whether he kept a diary. You tricked me. You tricked me. I don't care what interpretation you put on it, Mrs. Tomlin. All I'm thinking of at the moment is that poor husband of yours. It's, it's, it's Im impossible to believe. I trusted him so. Uh, what am I saying? I, I trusted Janet with my life. Uh, no, I, I should never have come to the mission. I gave you the brutal facts, Doctor, because since I started the investigation, my respect for you has grown. Not only for the unselfish way you dedicate your life to others, but for the tremendous courage you've shown since your wife's been arrested. I suppose the husband is always the last to find out, and... And yet when Charles... Forgive me, Soames... Doctor, I believe that Soames was more sinned against than sinning. He came out of prison where he'd been divorced from any female company. Yes, I know, I know. Certain other incidents now spring to my mind. I, I'd been a blind fool. You know that on my death, Janet would have inherited the entire Tomlin estate left to me by my father. And so she committed murder to keep me in, in ignorance of her... Uh, Don't say it, Doctor. There's no point in upsetting yourself unnecessarily. Strange that a woman of her intelligence should make such a foolish mistake. Mistake? What mistake? The only mistake Janet made was to marry me. When I was questioning you all, Doctor, your wife said... Well, what was it? What was it that Mrs. Soames said which was to reveal her guilt? Well, did you spot an exceedingly foolish utterance by the doctor's wife? Now we know that the entire electric system went out of action when the poor man was electrocuted. Yet, when I questioned her, she said... I heard all our people go. I had a headache, so I lay down and listened to a record of Bach. She went on to say that she didn't hear anything because of the music being played. Yet how could she listen to the gramophone record when the electricity was off? Despite a very clever defence, tried to convince the jury that she was a foolish victim of Soames' passion, she was found guilty and punished. Good night. The Epic Casebook was produced by Michael Silver for the makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Maple Margarine, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, and Niblet Cheese Twists, with Hugh Ross as Inspector Carr. Listen again next Thursday night at 9.30 to another exciting story from our epic casebook.